0: Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. If our time in the Sermon on the Mount has taught us anything, it's that when Jesus is talking, it's best not to get too comfortable. Nowhere is that more true than when it comes to the topic of today's episode, which is money. If, as Jesus says, your heart is wherever your treasure is and it's impossible to serve two masters, then we need to rethink our assumptions about the role of money in our lives. But that's easier said than done. So Cameron and I are going to try and sort out how we can beware of mammon and the false comfort of materialism without losing sight of the goodness of creation and the physical world. One of the things that we like to do on the commentary from time to time is talk about sermons that have recently been preached at Grace. Ordinarily, we talk about them after they've been preached, but this week we're going to talk about one before it's been preached. It's a sermon on Matthew 6, specifically on Jesus's teaching that will be familiar to most people, or Jesus says that you should lay up your treasure in heaven rather than on earth, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then Jesus also says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And so we're going to think about those texts and the implications of those texts, especially because it touches on a question that Cameron has been kicking around for a while, having to do with materialism. Mm -hmm. Cameron's been telling me the story about his reading of David Platt's book, Radical, and the impression that that left on him. Cameron, what point in your life did you encounter that book and kind of become
1: intrigued by it? Mm -hmm. Well, I was in high school, and I think that's around the time the book was published. So there was a lot of excitement surrounding it. But yeah, I think I was a sophomore or maybe junior in high school when I first read it. And and frankly, that was around the time I think I converted as well. So it was, you know, a pivotal time in my life. What was it about the message of the book that captivated you? It really was that it was a radical message. You know, that sounds silly because that's the title. But I, so as a new convert, I think I was, I was excited for something that was extreme or Authentic, you know, so Platt's message in that book is really that the radical approach to Christianity should be the, the normal approach to Christianity, that Christianity should just look radical to the world because we're so committed to the way of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus and obedience to them. And, yeah, so in that book in particular, it was, I just felt I felt called out, you know, as a, as a middle-class American from a middle-class American family, I felt like I was living, I remember I wrote a blog post or it was like actually an early Facebook post, like right when Facebook was the thing. And I, I was reflecting on how I felt disturbed by how comfortable I felt with my life. I was, I was too comfortable. And this book was making me feel disturbed about that fact. So there was something about it that was yeah, in, in, intriguing because it it made me feel like made me feel uncomfortable and I and I knew that that was good or I thought that that was good. So, yeah, there was a yeah. lot going on, but I know for, for someone of my generation,
0: just hearing the word radical makes me think of, you know, every bad stereotype of a youth pastor <laughs> that's ever come around, you know, follow Jesus because he's he's radical, he's countercultural yeah. and that kind of thing. And and so I have to remind myself there's actually a good basis for uh, taking a radical approach to let's say material possessions. Um, There's, we call them the evangelical councils, you know, teaching of Jesus, one of which is poverty, which traditionally in the Roman Catholic church was seen as a, like an elite thing that not every Christian would be called to, but that, that special sort of elite, holy people would be called to these, these higher obediences. But Martin Luther pushed back against that and insisted that these were actually applicable to all Christians, not mm-hmm. just to especially holy Christians. And I think uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer as well does something similar in insisting that that these are calls that are to all of us. And so there is within certainly within the protestant tradition good reason to question the comfort that we feel in our material culture and i think especially given the fact that that we in the 21st century certainly you know in, in north america enjoy a level of uh, material comfort that is you know historically like inconceivable right, to people of the past, it's not a bad thing to call those assumptions into question. Mm -hmm. Um, But having said that, you were also sharing that in time, some other influences in your life kind of led you to maybe ask some balancing questions, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's a possibility of throwing out the baby with the bathwater.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I really came to see that my view of this particular teaching of Jesus was wrapped up in my, my view of the gospel in general, which was something like this. It was that Jesus died for my sins to save me so that I could be in heaven with him. And someday, you know, when I die, when we all die, we can go to be in heaven with Jesus. And if that's true, then this world doesn't matter exactly. much. Exactly. The, the created world, physical stuff, my, even my body— those things don't matter quite as much or really, you know, in the grand scheme of things don't matter at all. I remember feeling that way sometimes in high school, like I couldn't even study very well as a, as a junior, because I thought this stuff like Spanish class doesn't matter if you all aren't saved. I had this deep burning thought, like you, all, all of my friends, you know, my teachers here, everyone needs to, to give their life to Jesus. And that's the only thing that matters. And and I thought that kind of radical, you know, sentiment view was was right, I guess.
0: It's funny to, to reflect just kind of as a parenthetical that these sorts of calls to radicalism can come from both ends of the spectrum, culturally speaking, politically speaking. You know, it, it might take the form of like a radical anti-materialism. You know, you don't need all this stuff because yeah. what matters is the world to come but it could also come from other directions like uh like an apocalyptic idea this world doesn't matter because god's going to destroy it anyway yeah. and, and all that matters is the world to come hmm. but i guess the question is with that kind of a focus what what is the good thing that is lost like what is
1: overlooked in that way of thinking in that like that view of the gospel you mean yeah yeah well i th- i think it's Missing new creation, hmm. you could—that's one way of putting it. So, as I developed in my faith, and God was gracious to me, I started to see that the—I used to think that the—the the point of the gospel, the message of the gospel, was that Jesus came to take us from the world. But now I see it slightly differently. It's—it's it's more that Jesus, you know, God in Christ came into the world to redeem it, us included so that it's not now a matter of trying to escape. It's Christianity isn't an escapism and I'm not trying to get away from the physical because God is redeeming it. So the, yeah. you know the hope of the resurrection in particular is that the our bodies will be redeemed in Christ and the world comes along with that. So we've talked about this before on the podcast but this view of the gospel which is you know, incredibly biblical is, you know, affirms the goodness of the created world. So, also affirms the goodness of my body, of physical stuff, and even of like certain pleasures or delights and joys in the world that I would have maybe been worried about in a past life. So, now I think what we have to do in this discussion, though, is kind of weigh those two views, maybe, or talk about how Jesus teaching that you just talked about in Matthew 6 fits into this view of of new creation
0: right yeah cuz i think it's easy to think there there are two paths here right that there's one path that embraces the spiritual at the expense of the physical mm-hmm. and on that path you are going to you know despise the things of this world and one of the things of this world is is money is stuff yeah. and so you're going to be a kind of uh, spiritual minimalist, let's say, um, traveling lightly in this yes. life because your reward is in the life to come mm-hmm. on the other end of that spectrum, we can take the the reality of Christ's continuing embodiment, so the physical resurrection, the fact that he remains in the flesh, that that is an affirmation of the goodness of the body. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he makes all things new, all creation new is an affirmation of the essential goodness of the created world. Therefore we shouldn't despise the physical world. We should appreciate it as Christ does and participate in it and enjoy the pleasures that are God given in this life as well. And so I I think it's easy to, to feel that you've got to choose one of those two paths. And of course, the reality is that you've got to balance both of those Mm -hmm. things because neither of them is the full picture, but neither of them is wrong either. And certainly when you look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, I think it's important in all of the Sermon on the Mount for us to hear the challenge. We've discussed this before that, It drives me nuts when we read these texts and automatically qualify them so that they don't threaten any of our, as you were saying, our our comfortableness. Mm -hmm. You know, we have ways of reading Jesus's words where they don't make us sweat. We don't get nervous. Uh, There's always a little voice saying, don't worry, it's going to be okay. He doesn't (laughs) mean that, you know, you're not the person he's talking about. And I just don't want us to read the Sermon on the Mount that way. And so um, when Jesus says that, that wherever your treasure is located, that's where your heart's going to be, the, the goodness of the body does not cancel out what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Right? Because what he's talking about is the orientation of the heart. Right. And so there has to be a way for us to enjoy the goodness of creation and appreciate our embodied existence as human beings and yet still have an affection and a desire that aims towards the life to come. The fact that the life to come is embodied and is in a new creation, I think, helps with that. Yeah. Because we begin to see that we're not making a choice between the physical and the spiritual. Right. In a sense, Jesus is is saying, you know, you, you've got a choice to make between now and what is to come, but both now and what is to come, they're both physical, they're both mm. embodied. It's just one of them is ensnared to sin, one of them is subject to corruption and loss, and the other one is not. Right. And so you want your treasure in the place where it cannot be lost, where it's Hmm. secure. And and that's where the affections of your heart should be directed. So I think that's, that's one thing, right. That, that we need to find a way to enjoy the blessings of this life without our hope being fixed on those blessings. In other words, maybe we could say like, without, Living for those blessings without orienting our lives to attaining blessings in this life, mm-hmm. which I think is really consistent with how Jesus speaks throughout Matthew 6. You know, he's encouraging us in all of our worship not to do things for the eyes of men, because if we do them for the eyes of men, then we will have our reward in this life. Mm-hmm. But if we do them in secret for the eyes of God, then our reward will come in time in the life to come. And so I think here a similar way of thinking when it comes to our possessions yeah. is actually good, is is a corrective. So in that sense,
1: I think we, we can be radical. I sense there are maybe two different things going on here, but maybe they're the same. So we're talking about, Wealth and poverty on the one hand, and physical, spiritual on the other, and I'm trying to decide: are are they kind of the same? So when Jesus warns us against wealth or money, is he warning us against physical stuff and telling us to care more about the spiritual, or or are we conflating those, or am I, am I conflating those no, right no. now? I,
0: I think I think there is an overlap, and I think like another um set of terms we could use is like the temporal versus the eternal sure yeah and i think that is exactly what he's doing mm-hmm. that that most of us have a tendency to be focused on this life we are focused on what we need to do in order to live this life well and usually that means to enjoy blessings in this life good things Uh, accruing to us, whether it's uh, the praise of men or just material comfort or what have you. And when that becomes our focus, when that becomes our highest good, then there are eternal values and things that, like sacrifices right now that we're reluctant to make. Whereas if our hope was in the life to come, making those sacrifices now would make more sense. Mm And so I think, you know, a good barometer isn't so much like what are the comforts that you enjoy, but what are the comforts that you could not imagine sacrificing? You know, what are the things that you would sacrifice in order to keep rather than, you know, give up for some greater purpose? Um, and, and again, if you ask that question, you immediately start talking about desires of the heart. Yeah. and that sort of idea of metaphorical treasure, like what is it I'm treasuring in my heart, mm. the things I won't give up now for the hope or promise of future reward, those are the, those are the things I think that that are being targeted. Mm. And that's, you know, when Jesus says to the rich young ruler, sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me, I think he is challenging this particular guy because this is the thing right. that prevents this person from following Christ in reality, that the sacrifice of comforts now um, is inconceivable, that that he's got to have a way to follow Christ without that, you know, without having to give those things up. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's really a good way for us to think about that, but I want to add one element to it, which is that, that second idea of serving two masters, mm-hmm. because that also gets us to the heart orientation or like what we're living for, what we're motivated by. You know, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. He gives us, you know, God and money as the two, or to use the, the older King James translation, God and mammon. Yeah. And mammon is one of those great archaic words that, we really need to recover because uh, money is too generic, Mm -hmm. right? When we talk about money, um, you know, we don't really get the sense for what it is that that's being talked about. It's, it's not, you know, change in the hand. It is more uh, like driven by the need for wealth, Mm. right? The, the desire to have the, the resources, the wealth, the status, the position, all, all of the stuff that goes along with that, but it's not it's not just like a synonym for greed, and I think oftentimes that's that's the way we think of it. It's like there are certain people who have a greed problem, and in those extreme cases, they really need to hear this. Mm-hmm. I think it's fairer to say that that all of us have this, let's say, challenge of allegiances, like that all of us face this question of who will we serve and that you cannot serve wealth and God simultaneously. And I'm not saying um, you cannot possess wealth, but you cannot serve it and serve God. Yeah. And, and I think that is something... We need desperately to hear, because in our very material, very uh, entrepreneurial culture, the idea of amassing wealth is viewed as almost entirely good. And there's a great way of rationalizing, you know, that that uh, in order to be a good steward and, and help others. I first need to amass this wealth and out of this reserve of wealth, I can do these good things. And, and on paper, all of that is true, but there's a question of heart condition, right? There's a question of, of uh, identity wrapped up in that, Mm -hmm. where at a certain point it does become a challenge. Like do I serve God or do I serve the, the stuff Mm -hmm. that I care about and 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 need so much. And so again, I I think it's always very easy for us to rationalize and and find workarounds so that we don't feel the conviction that Jesus intends us to. But Jesus is saying, you know, your heart is going to lead you astray, that you're going to have a tendency to put your treasure here in this life, and you're going to have a tendency to serve like the love of money and tell yourself that that's not really what you're doing. And so there's a good reason to challenge yourself and to make sure that that's not what you're doing.
1: Uh, I'm already feeling challenged. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, so the question, of course, then is, how do I, how do we know when we're serving mammon?
0: Yeah, no, it's a great question, <laughs> but I, I don't think it's actually that difficult. Okay. You know, I, I think that like a lot of these questions, like we make them feel hard because we don't want to confront them, <laughs> you know? And and I don't think Jesus is is looking at it that way. You know, again, the example of the rich young ruler is, is a good one. Um, it's really clear where he falls on that line because when he is called upon to make the sacrifice – that sacrifice is unimaginable to him, and that I think is is what's revealing. <laughs> um, I'll use myself as an example. You know, I, I grew up with a lot of materialistic dreams that I never really questioned. You know, and I, I had ideas in my head about yeah, I want to be a millionaire by the age of thirty, and you know, at that time, being a millionaire was a lot more impressive than it is now. Yeah. You know, the money was, was worth more and, and, uh, yeah. So, you know, I just kind of imagined that that was the path of, of obvious benefit, And it was really inconceivable to me to imagine like, uh, any sort of like physical or financial privation. And, and my mindset was always, um, you know, you can, you can give or sacrifice once you've met sort of all your needs, right? Like once, once you're rich, then you can help people Mm -hmm. in need. But until then, I mean, how can you do that? Uh, And honestly, in my life, I, I was a, I was a hard learner. And so God had to humble me through like a series of of humiliations to help me unlearn those assumptions and and question them more you know there were things that that i would stay up at night like dreading the loss of and it wasn't until after i had lost them that i realized it didn't really matter the way that i thought it had there wasn't security in those things the way that I thought there had been. And that it was actually okay to have lost them. And so, you know, I'm not, I don't want to float out of proportion. And It's not like I went through some Job-like experience of losing everything and then God giving it all back or anything like that. Um, um, he hasn't given it all back, but, but um, I just want to say that, that, for some of us, that need for security is so deeply rooted mm. that, that God has to take it away by force, as it were, before we realize that our security is not in stuff. It's in him. Yeah. So, I, like I say, I, I don't think it's as difficult as it seems mm. to understand where our security lies
1: you said that you used to stay up at night thinking, worrying about the things that, that maybe you'd have to give up or lose. It reminds me of something Keller said once. I think he defined an idol as either the thing that you dream about or the thing that you have nightmares about losing essentially. Yes. So it's that thing that you cannot give up. You do not want to give up. And you know, I I think that makes so much sense of not only of like Jesus, other teachings about like, you know, hating your family stuff. Mm -hmm. That just is like, what? Right. But also I'm thinking back to the Abraham's near sacrifice of Isaac, Um, not to get into a philosophical um, distraction here, but I was reading Kierkegaard lately Mm -hmm. and he has this whole thing about Abraham's ordeal with this near sacrifice of his son. Right. And the whole point there is like, God is asking him to do the inconceivable thing. And since he agreed to it, that was like his kind of faith. That's uh,
0: Fear and Trembling. Yep. The beginning of Fear and Trembling, Kierkegaard speculates about what it must have been like and has these different scenarios. Yeah. And um, I think he's totally wrong about (laughs) (laughs) about the way he imagines those scenes. Yes. But it is a fascinating question. And, And honestly, I mean, I think you've done something fantastic in the sense that we were talking about giving up wealth and you've managed to make that pale in comparison by yeah. mentioning sacrifice of children, but <laughs> you're right. I mean, the, there's a, there's a core similarity, which has to do with the, the, the need to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You sacrifice something you love in order to glorify God or you sacrifice God in order to keep something you love.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that is radical. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like back to David Platt, I I don't want to pretend that that is like not a radical thing. And I think Jesus is saying that to all of us and that there is something for all of us, which would be inconceivable to give up. Yeah. And and so that's,
0: I don't know, that's that's a tough... And and I think, yeah, so kind of like bringing that together, I think the point is that there's not an incompatibility between, on the one hand, Jesus' challenge to our heart commitments, and on the other, uh, like a theological appreciation for the goodness of the physical world and, and of, of let's they say, stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's possible to acknowledge the goodness of stuff, the goodness of material culture that that it's nice to have these things, that it is a way to serve other people to create these things. All of that is is something that we can rejoice in and at the same time recognize that in that good thing, there is also this this potential for idolatry and for evil, that those good things that are God-given can become our highest good and because they're good, I mean, because of the fact that they're good, they represent a greater danger than if they weren't good. So mm-hmm. in a sense, affirming the goodness of the physical world is just a way of acknowledging the need for a challenge like the one that Jesus gives right. us. Because it's good to have wealth. It's good to have these comforts. It's mm-hmm. it's good to have... You know, pleasure, not pain, but because of the very goodness, we're prone to chase those things and to sacrifice whatever we have to sacrifice in order to attain them.
1: Mm -hmm. I think of one other scene in the Gospels where Jesus says it's easier. What is it? It's easier for a camel to go through the, the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples are like, well, then who, you know, who can enter the kingdom of heaven? Right. And like, we're doomed. Well, and that's, that's the beauty to me yeah. of that story of the,
0: the rich young ruler is that the reaction of the disciples there is just one of those great reactions where, you know, Jesus saying it's going to be difficult for a person like this to enter the kingdom. They don't say, well, it's a good thing. You know, we're not wealthy guys. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They're like, okay, well, I guess nobody can get in. Yeah, they immediately despair. And and the funny thing is, Jesus answers them in this this sort of beautifully Calvinistic way. Um, he doesn't say, No, 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 no. Look, it's gonna be hard for a couple of these really greedy people, (laughs) but I mean, you guys are fishermen, you're not gonna have a problem. Right? Jesus says basically, yeah, well, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Yeah. And so we have this hope, but it's a hope in the power of God to overcome not not in our own ability to mm-hmm. to be strong in the face of of these temptations and I, I think that's a good comfort as well yeah I think one of the areas where for me, this really is driven home is that it's not just that we in our material comfort can be let's say like dulled to the needs of others and less prone to sacrifice for the kingdom. It's also that, that accumulating and acquiring and caring for stuff ingrains habits in us. Mm. It forms us in certain ways and the habits of mind that it forms can be counterproductive to us as disciples. Uh, the word that I often use to describe this isn't really a great word, but but it's the word consumerist, that in a lot of ways, Christians in the 21st century, certainly in North America, have a very consumeristic way of approaching even faith, where we look at uh, church, for example, and we, we weigh churches based on amenities, based on on, you know, is it... Is it a brand I want to identify with? And does it offer me the kind of services that I'm looking for? And if the answer to those questions is no, then I'm going to look for a different church as if the church were a commodity and not a community. But we have this way of thinking so deeply ingrained in us because a lot of our lives are, are shaped by the fact that there's so much stuff for us to to have mm-hmm. that, we've got to make decisions about what stuff is right for us, and and what stuff best reflects who we are as people. And all of those kinds of decisions tend to uh, have the effect of of you know you've heard the saying, uh, if all you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. Yeah, I think if the way that you approach life is essentially based around consumption decisions, then you approach every subject as if it's a question of consumption in one way or another, even if it's spiritual. So behind this teaching of Jesus in Matthew 6, I also think there's a challenge to the way that we approach the spiritual. You know, the way that we approach the things of God, that we can't approach them with the same logic that we do mammon. We can't approach them and serve. We can't serve God the way you serve mammon. Let's put it that way, that it requires a, a shift in thinking, a shift in perspective. So it isn't simply a question of, let's say, uh, valuing the life to come more than we value this life. It also involves like challenging the way we think about this life and, and thinking about it Let's say, you know, with with a spiritual lens, not just a physical one. Mm.
1: Well. I'm not going to ask you to unpack that anymore, but I'm looking forward <laughs> to your sermon on Sunday. And I, I assume that you'll get into that a little bit more.
0: <laughs> hopefully, hopefully yes. But yeah. uh, just in case, I thought it'd be good for us to explore some right. of these things in advance. And, and uh, there's, always, there's always so much more to mm-hmm. a text than what we manage to, to address on a Sunday morning. And so it's good right. to be able to, to spend a little more time with the thoughts. Absolutely. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.